Coming up on this week's WAC podcast, we will talk with Nikki Jackson, an all-time great men's soccer player in the WAC, now playing for the Colorado Rapids, but he's currently trying to get over an ACL injury. Then I also had a chance to talk to former Seattle U women's soccer player Jessie Ray on WAC All Access. A few weeks back, we talked to her about what she's up to now and her favorite moments at Seattle U. And we had a couple of Major League Baseball debuts. That's all ahead on the WAC Podcast. Today's episode of the WAC Podcast is brought to you by Hercules Tires, the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference. Now here are your hosts, Eric Danner and Rachel Vigil. Welcome to the WAC Podcast. Eric Danner, Rachel Vigil in the WAC Digital Network Studios in Denver, Colorado. Eric, this morning, it actually felt like fall. <laughs> I could not believe it. Yeah, as, as this show airs on September 1st, here in Colorado especially, for whatever reason, when that calendar turns, all of a sudden, it is fall, and it feels like fall here. I, I have been doing my uh, power walks, and I notice uh, as I'm out and about, uh, starting to see more and more uh, golden leaves on the trees. It's not, you know, where you go driving around and, hey, look at that, like they do, you know, here in a few weeks, but uh, it's definitely starting to, to change. They, they call it football weather, but uh, for us in the WAC, it's, it's generally been soccer weather the past few years, especially, and... Uh, unfortunately, we don't have it going right now as the season was suspended, but uh, hopefully we will in the spring. And uh, it's uh, we're, we're trending. Uh, it seems like we're trending better the past few weeks maybe than we were a few weeks ago. We did take a week off, so it seems like things are a little bit better now than they were maybe even two weeks ago. We're moving forward, and feels like soccer weather. We can still talk about soccer. Yes. Seattle U Men's Soccer was ranked number 18 by SoccerWire.com as the best men's soccer program over the past five years. So, great news. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, Pete Fewing, one of the best coaches. We have, we have a ton of great coaches in the WAC, especially in men's soccer. And Coach Fewing's won national championships at different levels. And the Red Hawks have always been uh, right near the top, if not at the top of the WAC uh, in men's soccer the past few years, especially. So congratulations to the Red Hawks on getting that honor. We're going to talk some soccer on this week's show, Rachel, as uh, Nikki Jackson is going to be our guests for, guest from the Colorado Rapids and from the Colorado Springs Switchbacks. He uh, unfortunately had a torn ACL right before the uh, pandemic hit, and he's out for the season. But uh, we, we had a very interesting conversation with Nikki that we're going to have in the next segment. We did have a great conversation with him. One of the major points was about the Rapids took a pro test last Wednesday um, for Black Lives Matter, uh, just along with the NBA. So the MLS decided to sit out too. And I know he plays a big part in that and he's got a voice too. And he really enjoys talking about that. But also, yeah, his ACL torn and how his rehab is going. So great conversation. Yeah, it is. And uh, speaking of that, I mean, you, you mentioned the Colorado Rapids and you work with them and they did have that that protest uh, like the NBA did uh, this past week, but they did get, uh, they played this weekend. How was how that uh, whole uh back to playing now they're they're playing in front of empty stadiums but there's some teams in the mls that have fans is that right rapids do not have fans um the city of denver is still not allowing like large groups to be together but yeah a couple other cities are having fans so sporting kansas city one of the teams that they just played actually did have some fans in the stadium so it's interesting to talk to players about like that eeriness of not having any fans in the stadium versus going to places where there's only a few right like it's not the normal number so it's a lot it's an interesting conversation to have with a lot of players about that kind of eeriness of not having anybody there but 
I mean, at the end of the day, you just got to play soccer. And since we we're last on the air, Tarek Skubal, the outstanding pitcher from Seattle U, got his chance to make his major league debut. And not only that, he's pitched a couple of times now. He's playing for the Detroit Tigers, and he got his first win of his career on Saturday. I can't even imagine that feeling of getting your first career win. Like you would, I feel like you would just always have to remember that moment, wouldn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Der- uh, Tarek, we saw at the uh, WAC baseball tournament a few years ago, and he's the first uh, Seattle U player to get a chance in quite some time. So uh, congratulations to him. And uh, I-, I saw he was- he's also rated as one of their uh, top five prospects. So y- you think uh, – Maybe he has a chance to uh, to stick with the uh, Tigers. Absolutely. And the WAC, I feel like, just produces baseball players like no other. CBU alum Tyson Miller was also called up to the club or to the Cubs. So another great feat to see. Moving on up. Yeah, and he played for CBU uh, prior to their joining the WAC, but obviously a, a great uh, great news for the program uh, with the Lancers. And I'm sure they'll have other guys uh, getting some opportunities like that as we go on through the years. I was going to uh, go back to Tarek for a little bit here. He actually got drafted twice uh, when he was in the WAC, got drafted by the Diamondbacks in the 29th round in 2017, didn't sign, went back to Seattle U, then he was drafted by the Tigers in the ninth round of the uh, 2018 MLB draft. Now, he had Tommy John surgery in 2016, so he has uh, clearly recovered from that. So now 1-1 one one is his uh, career record, 23 years old. So he's a young guy uh, with a uh, bright future ahead of him. Absolutely. 23, huh? Yeah. Wow. You have to be playing <laughs> in the majors. That is a really, really good feat. Congratulations to him. And then uh, Reese Hoskins, a guy we talked to uh, a couple of years ago for the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, He seems to be uh, heating up a little bit here. He's a Sacramento State grad. They're an affiliate member in WAC baseball. He's WAC Player of the Year, his his, uh, junior season. He's now batting 250 uh, with five home runs. That's actually 10 points higher than his career average and and had some uh, highlight-type plays uh, this past weekend for the Phillies. Highlight-type plays, exactly. Reese Hoskins was so great when we were able to sit down and talk to him, and he had such great words to say about the whack and his like starting up and moving on to the majors, too. So I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with him two years ago. So make sure you go check it out on the WAC YouTube page <laughs> if you have not had a chance to listen. And uh, you also had a chance, uh, while we're talking about the professional uh, athletes from the WAC, you had a chance to talk to Gia Pack, and she is uh, currently playing overseas now. Overseas in Slovakia. She just went over there a few weeks ago, getting caught up to speed. She also was dealing with an ankle injury, so she's fixing that all up and making sure that she's ready to go. And she said the transition at first was really hard because she wasn't able to be with her family, and she's a huge family person. So we love to see her now advancing and moving on with her career. And, you know, she's a huge NM State Aggie fan, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see how she celebrates that and roots for them hopefully this winter with basketball but she'll have to do it they're seven hours ahead of us that's, here in Denver so that's right I remember she had the injury and she missed a, a good chunk of the conference season and then one of our storylines going into the tournament is she going to play is she not going to play because remember she was supposed to make her debut I believe the last week of the season against and she CBU, didn't I yeah against mm-hmm. CBU and then our, one of the games we did get in the three games of the tournament uh, they did win they played UTRGV, I think, right? And, uh, they did. A, and they were able to win that game. Yep. And uh, Gia wasn't quite back to her. You could tell that ankle was still really bothering her. So good to hear that she's uh, back playing and, and getting a chance to play professionally because I can't imagine uh, being overseas by yourself right now 
um, especially with the pandemic going on, probably doesn't help things. But also, you know, learning a new language and, and all that good stuff. And we're going to play that interview next week on the podcast. So uh, can check that out What on uh, Instagram right now, correct? Yes, go to IGTV, uh, that and all of our all-access interviews are actually on there as well. So you can go ahead and listen over there. And yeah, Gia said that she has a translator, and she's ha- they speak broken English over there, but it's definitely a transition going from just speaking normal English to having to learn another language. I oh, can't I imagine. And uh, speaking of uh, following us, uh, make sure to subscribe and like us on our uh, podcast for Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and also on SoundCloud, uh, so you can make sure to listen to every uh, episode of the WAC Podcast. Another uh, player getting a chance to play professionally overseas, Yvonne Auri, Auri Koachea. See, I, I said it perfectly earlier. Auri Koachea signing in Iceland, uh, the former New Mexico State uh, big man, getting a chance to play in the pros. Going overseas to play in the pros, and I feel like we knew that was going to happen. Right. His career at New Mexico State, it was just bound to happen. So congratulations to him. We look forward to Maybe we can have him on Wack All Access. Yeah, and, and he's such a glue guy, too, uh, for using uh, the basketball terms where he'll do the dirty work, he'll get the rebounds. Mm-hmm. But he's also a real skilled guy down in the post. So uh, gr- glad to see him get a chance. Iceland, I, I've I've heard good things about Iceland, yep. but uh, – I don't know what the basketball is like over there. I, and it's interesting, too. That was one thing with Gia. She said it's different. You know, the things we do here in the States in basketball, it's different than over there in Slovakia. So, yeah, it would be interesting to talk to Yvonne about what it's like over in Iceland. What differences are there? Well, and just the rise of basketball, especially in Europe. Uh, we saw Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks <laughs> is, what, 20, 21 years old? Yeah. And he looks like he's, you know, 30, 35 and he's been playing for years. So that shows you he, he played since, what, he was 14 in the professional ranks over in Europe. Just how good it is that he can step right in in his second year and be one of the top players in the NBA and in the playoffs. And uh, we, we were always keeping an eye on certain guys, but uh, we like to watch the playoffs too. We love to watch the playoffs. And this year's playoffs, the bubble, something <laughs> else. But, I mean, it's still basketball, right? We're still able to watch it at the end of the day, so we love it. Yeah, Pascal Siakam and the Raptors advanced to the second round, although uh, he got into foul trouble early on Sunday. Not and uh, Yeah, not, not the outcome uh, they were looking for there. But uh, people kind of forget, uh, you know, uh, Paul George played in the WAC when uh, Fresno was a, a part of the conference. Uh, playoff P, as he's uh, known, uh, kind of up and down a little bit there in the bubble. JaVale McGee, when he was at Nevada, they were also part of the WAC now playing for the Lakers. Paul Millsap of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, was at Louisiana Tech, one of our top rebounders in WAC history. And Royce O'Neal, this was one I, I looked up, Rach, because I wasn't real familiar with him. He's playing for the Utah Jazz. Uh, graduated from Baylor, was not drafted, but uh, before going to Baylor, he actually played at Denver University. And when they were in the WAC for one year, and he was all WAC. So he is now a starter for the uh, Utah Jazz. So Wow. Yeah. yeah there's there's a fun fact. There's a deep dive right there. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> how much research did you have to do to go really down in there? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we always have had a great tradition of uh, basketball in the WAC, and that continues with uh, with these guys playing in the bubble. And uh, Denver Nuggets, of course, we were here in Denver, and uh, what a game Sunday night. I mean, Jamal Murray lighting it up, and uh, they get to go to Game 7. I know there's a lot of Utah Jazz fans especially in the uh, Utah Valley area there, but uh, we kind of root for the Nuggets here at uh, the conference office. You know the NBA... Uh, under, under the table, I guess. Under the table, absolutely. But you know the NBA has to be a little upset because a lot of people weren't excited for the Nuggets uh, jazz 
uh, matchup. <laughs> yes. And so they didn't give them the best times, but no. this series has turned out to be phenomenal. Game seven, I cannot wait. Donovan Mitchell, uh, yeah, I mean, just the entire thing I think will be outstanding. Game well, seven. And to bring in a whack tie-in with Donovan Mitchell, he played at Louisville. Uh, was actually drafted by the Nuggets. It was one of those they had already determined to trade before he was drafted. But when he played at Louisville for Rick Pitino, they played at GCU his last year, and he said the toughest arena that they had to play in that year was GCU. The Havocs were out in force, of course, with Louisville in town. And Donovan Mitchell, as it turns out, who maybe you know has become obviously more famous oh since then. But, yeah, he said uh, definitely playing in front of the Havocs was the uh, toughest college environment. And Louisville plays against some uh, pretty – Pretty tough college environments. Uh, yeah, you love to see the Havocs. So they really do make a name for themselves everywhere. I feel like so many people in the college basketball world understand what the Havocs are. Yeah, absolutely. We, we look forward to seeing the Havocs, hopefully sooner Fingers rather than crossed. later. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, speaking of the Havocs, so we're going to have former GCU star Nikki Jackson in a, a very good interview coming up next on the WAC Podcast. We would like to thank our sponsors of the WAC Podcast, Hercules Tires and Adidas. Now, back to Eric and Rachel. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast. We are celebrating the past decade in WAC men's soccer with the goals and and assists. And uh, we have uh, how many wins by goalkeepers, how many points. And uh, Rachel, the one of the top goal scorers over the past decade in WAC soccer, Nikki Jackson from Grand Canyon University, scored 40 goals when he was in the WAC. And now he's with the Colorado Rapids and the USL team, the Switchbacks there. And he's battling an ACL injury too, so he's on the rehab to come back up. So we're excited to sit down and chat with him. We're now joined by Nikki Jackson, one of the all-time great men's soccer players in WAC history. Nikki, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. well. Rach, you're doing good? I'm doing well. Happy that you're on with us. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Now, Nikki, we're celebrating uh, WAC Men's Soccer this week as we're, you know, developing some content as we don't currently have any uh, games going on. And we're looking back at the last 10 years in WAC Men's Soccer and uh, came out with the top goal scorers of the past decade. And you're number two on the list in the WAC. Only Danny Mazowski got you. So Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? You would you, I imagine you want to be number one, but you got to be yeah. pretty happy about number two. No, it's crazy because me and Danny, we actually have a pretty good relationship. So, like, throughout the years of us playing against each other, we always kind of joked around and kind of played with each other. And, like, it was super competitive on the field, but off the field, we were great friends. So, it's kind of cool for us to, like, being in the same, like, generation of uh, WAC soccer kind of top the list. So, it's just an honor for sure. 40 goals in your career over at GCU. Is there one that really just sticks out for you? Oh, wow. Um, I would have to say probably one of my favorite goals I've ever scored was probably against Portland, my diving header. I think that was my sophomore year, maybe junior year. And then uh, one of my favorite games, but goals uh, also was against UCF, which was awesome as well. Now, you had a chance. I mean, uh, GCU was still pretty new to Division I when, when you went there. Mm. The the crowd that you would get at those GCU games when you'd score a goal, did you expect that what that atmosphere that it would be like in Phoenix uh, for Division One men's soccer? Um, well, it's it's hard to say. Like I think uh, Brian Mueller did a really good job, and Mike Blunt did a really good job with uh, promoting men's soccer in Arizona with GCU, uh, especially with shells coming in and 
getting a, a very good hype coming his way. I think um, I didn't expect what we had, but I was very grateful that we had it, you know. And I think it's only been building more and more since uh, we've gotten that stadium. So it was definitely a blessing to be able to play uh, in front of thousands of fans almost every game. So it was really cool. A great, a great uh, way easier transition going into pros for sure. How did Shellis Heinemann, the head coach over at GCU, how did he help you transition to becoming a pro soccer player? Um, yeah, Shellis is a, a great coach, all-time, one of the all-time winning coaches in college soccer, I believe. Um, but I think with him being coming from FC Dallas and already been at that level, he kind of he he stayed true to his level of professionalism. He he didn't he didn't drop it down to college, you know. He kept it very professional. So bringing a professional coach to the college soccer, at least with GCU, he kept that same same mentality. So it made it a lot easier transitioning because I knew what kind of coaching I'm going to be getting, what kind of pace that the coaches are going to want from me going into the pros. So Shellis uh, played a huge role in my transition from college to professional. We're talking with Nikki Jackson, former GCU grade. And Nikki, I believe Shellis became the coach while you were there. Is that correct? Yes, he came uh, – he, he uh, got hired my – end of my freshman year. So I didn't have my first true season with him until my sophomore year. Yes. Yeah, what was that transition like for you? Obviously, if he didn't recruit you, yeah. did you maybe have some questions whether or not you should stay there? And obviously it worked out great, but uh, yeah. was there any trepidation uh, playing for Shellis? Um, no, no, I, I don't think so. I think uh, – I actually uh, was able to sit down with Mike Watt uh, and kind of speak to him once we hired him and stuff and, uh, and speak with Shellis as well. And we kind of sat down and Shellis believed in me. He kind of knew my background as well. And so um, having Shellis come in, I think when I heard he played for FC, like he coached FC Dallas, that kind of got me more excited, you know, because then I kind of have a pathway to go through. So, I mean, obviously I didn't go to Dallas, but uh, it definitely got me excited for the future because I had, a guy with a lot of strings and connections in the professional world. So it got me super excited. Then in 2018, you get drafted in the MLS Super Draft to the Colorado Rapids. I know you hurt your ACL. So how is that recovery going? Um, it was, it's crazy. Cause like, obviously no one wants to get hurt, but like what I was telling some of my teams, I was like, if there was a season to get injured, it would be right now. You know, we, we, we weren't doing anything for about four months, but I mean, at the beginning, it was, a little, it was a little harder because I wasn't able to get into PT as much as I should have. But, I mean, uh, I have my whole little workout station here. They set up for me the Rapids in my apartment. So uh, that was a lot that – was, that was very helpful. So from the very beginning, it was a little tough. But, I mean, we stayed on track and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't uh, regress too much. But now that we're, we're, we're gone and everything's back almost back to normal, I'm able to get in the stadium almost every day now. So – uh, getting the work in, so it's it's going really good now. I'm not having I'm not having any trouble now. I'm really progressing. I'm getting there. I'm really close. Now, Nikki, you had the surgery right before the pandemic hit, so I imagine you're probably in the hospital when what around that March 11th, 12th, kind of when everything yeah. started shutting down. What what was sure. that like for you being in the hospital at that point? It was crazy because um, we were uh, my girlfriend, my family wanted to come, but. At the time, the traveling was kind of restricted, so they, they live in Atlanta, so they weren't really kept able to come. So I really had my girlfriend. I was kind of scared that they weren't going to allow her to come in, but luckily they uh, allowed my girlfriend to come in and kind of help me and get me through the whole process and stuff. But once we uh, got settled, it was just like 
quarantine like right after an injury it was crazy but uh it was good though because the first like two weeks I wasn't even able to really do much so the quarantine kind of worked in my favor because like I was just relaxing and just chilling and stuff so what is that rehab process like you said first two weeks you weren't really doing anything after that was it little to like little movement and then you were able to kind of start walking and then eventually yeah. start running yeah it definitely uh because after you uh after surgery, you have a lot of swelling and stitches are still in. So they, uh, the process is a little slower because you want to wait before you get started, you want to make sure you get the swelling down a little bit. So for, for the first week, week and a half, we didn't do too much. And then we slowly, gradually started like doing massage therapy and stuff like that. And then transition to like small movements and small little workouts. And then just kept gradually uh, moving forward. Had you had an injury like this before, Nikki? Uh, is this your first ACL? And when it when it happened, did you know it was was an ACL? Um, yeah. So yeah, this is my first injury. The the worst thing I've ever done is strain a hamstring uh, next to this. But uh, yeah, it happened uh, with the switchbacks. Actually, it was like right when I got loaned out for preseason. I was in Utah, and uh, when when it happened, I went down, and I was on the ground for like a few seconds. It wasn't very painful, but uh, I do have a high pain tolerance though, so I think that's probably why I didn't really feel much. And then once I kind of got up, I was actually ready to go back on the field. Like I jogged back on the field. But I think that's more drilling than anything. And my trainer was like, no, you're done. You're done. And then uh, we didn't know for sure until I got my MRI. But after like the second day I did it, it was just swelled up like a balloon. And I was like, okay, yeah, there's something going on. But uh, luckily I had a great doctor, Dr. Frank, uh, performed surgery on me and she did a great job. And, uh, her team really worked well on me, and uh, I'm, I'm almost there now, so I'm ready to go. Almost. What immediately went through your head as soon as you heard that you had torn your ACL? Oh, wow. Um, that's a good question. Uh, first thoughts. Um, I don't know. I wasn't like – mentally, I'm a very strong person, so it wasn't really more so my career is over this, that, but it's just kind of like – let's get it going. You know, let's, 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 let's get the surgery done. Let's get rehab going and let's get back out there as soon as I can, you know, kind of mindset, kind of just ready to, ready to get back, you know? So it was more so just let's get the surgery on, let's get rehab going. And let's get me back by the year. So. Now you mentioned you were with the Colorado Springs switchbacks when that happened. And uh, for those who don't know with the, uh, the Rapids, with the MLS, so I believe the Rapids have a, uh, a an agreement with the switchbacks where it's uh, basically almost like a minor league team yeah. for them where, where players can go back and forth. Mm -hmm. What has that process been like for you? Because I know you've been back and forth a few times between the Rapids and the USL yeah. in, in terms of, you know, just knowing where you're going to be each year. Um, yeah, so they do a good job with the housing. That's not more the problem. It's more so – uh, I think for players at least, you got to stay mentally intact. And so whoever you're playing for, make sure you're there and you're aware. But uh, I think with the switchbacks and the Rapids, what they have is a great uh, relationship. Alan Coach, the head coach, um, uh, he sat me down as soon as he heard he was going to get me. We had an hour-long discussion. He told me what he wanted for me, how much he loved, wanted me to play for them and stuff like that. So me and Alan have a great relationship. So he's actually uh, reached out to me. About two weeks ago, kind of we kind of kept caught up with all my rehab and everything. So I think uh, definitely, definitely the players that go down there, the switchbacks uh, really make you feel like as you're a player, you're not just like a loney, you know. Which 
makes you want to play for them even more because they're really invested in you. So it's a good relationship. Are you able to keep up with what the Rapids are doing? Yeah, I'm in every day. So I'm there every day. Uh, I was able to go to the game. We tied 1-1 at Kansas City on Saturday. Uh, so, yeah, I'm seeing the guys every day, the coaches every day. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty integrated within the team now. I'm not training with them yet or working out with them. I'm, kind of, I'm in before those guys. I come in, I get in at 7 a.m. So I'm in a little before the, a little a little bit before those guys, but towards the end of my workout, they're starting to come in and stuff. So I see the guys and we talk and then we're keeping up with each other and stuff. So yeah, it's nice. I want to know what's one of your big takeaways on how their season went. Obviously, Orlando didn't go the way they wanted yeah. it to, but what's one of your big takeaways? Um, it's crazy because we had a great ending to the year uh, uh, last season with Robin coming in, and then uh, we had a good start to the season this year as well, and uh, we were undefeated. And then, obviously, the pandemic happened, and it kind of just shut everything down and uh, kind of broke the momentum. So I think we just need to get that momentum back and kind of get back in the, the, the flow of things. And I think Orlando's kind of tough for any player to really play in. I mean, you never know what – like, it's hard to expect what to expect from certain teams in a bubble like that where you're away from your family, you're in a hotel quarantine – you can't do anything. You can't be comfortable in your own, you know, uh, player rituals and stuff. So it's definitely different the bubble. But uh, I think uh, uh, this Saturday was a great start to get us back on track. And I think uh, towards the end of the season, towards midseason, uh, a few games in, we're, we're really going to get it going. Well, Rachel has a, a side gig with the Colorado Rapids, and she had a chance to go to the bubble in Orlando, cover the team, and is still covering the team. Uh, what was that like, Nikki? Imagine – had to be tearing you up that you weren't able to go into the bubble with your teammates. Uh, how, how was that for you mentally? Um, yeah, like I said from the beginning, mentally uh, it's really hard to break me. It's not more being away because I know at that point when I got injured, I knew my, what my role was on the team. And that was for me to be a supportive teammate and make sure whatever they need for me, they're going to get and for me to work hard on my rehabilitation and get back as soon as I can. So for me, I was super excited for the guys. Obviously, you know, I wanted to be there, but I knew I had a job I needed to get done, which is uh, to stay here and get my rehab and kind of get back and catch up so I can get back with the guys. So mentally, didn't didn't take a toll on me too much, but definitely uh, was uh, super excited to see my teammates out there because we haven't really done anything for about three months. So it was good to see. You meant or you mentioned a few times how mentally tough you are what really went on maybe in your life or how do you feel like you've gained that mental toughness? Um, I kind of think it's just been, I've always just kind of played with a chip on my shoulder, even if I was like one of the best players on the team or the worst, you know, it's just like, a, it's almost a mindset. And like, for me, I think what really, really uh, got me there was like <clears throat> a lot of my uh, teammates when I played for RSL in the academy, some of them went pro out of high school and some went pro after their first year. And like, I wasn't getting that. And so like, it kind of, at first it was a little hard, but then I was like, you know what, like everyone has their own little path. And so then on top of that, all my other teammates that went to college, they went to top universities and I obviously went to Grand Canyon, which wasn't one of the biggest soccer universities in the country at the time. But um, it was kind of like, okay, well, I'm at the top university but I'm going to show what I have, what I have. And I know it's going to be good enough. And that's, and it, it kind of rolled through professionally as well. Cause I mean, I was a 73rd pick overall in the fourth round. I had five draft picks ahead of me for the Rapids. And uh, I was the only one they signed, you know, it was just kind of 
a mental thing. You know, you just got to believe in yourself and know that you, you're worth it and uh, that you're worth the investment. And that's, that's always been my mindset. And it's got to be this far. So, I mean, I'm sticking with it. We're talking with Nikki Jackson, uh, currently of the Colorado Rapids, formerly of Grand Canyon University. And back in June, Nikki, you tweeted about the Black Players Coalition of the MLS. What, what is that organization and what, what are they trying, what's their message? Yeah, so uh, great question. Um, yeah, so with uh, the Black, uh, Black Lives Matter movement going on, uh, Jacob Blake, and George Floyd, and Breonna Taylor, and multiple other cases, but uh, really, we're just really striving to actually make change. So Black Players Union, basically. And I mean, there's a lot of talk and there's a lot of posting on social media, but what we're, what we're trying to do is actually make change. And uh, one of the things, I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, the boycott that happened last weekend, that was uh, started with the Black Players Union because of the Jacob Blake and everything that was going on with that. And um, we, uh, I'm not sure if I'm really, I, I guess I'm allowed to say, but um, we finally have getting some, uh, some first steps in it. Uh, one of them was uh, we're going to sit down with all the owners in the league and have a really deep discussion on what we want to get out of that because we didn't want that boycott to go for nothing you know I mean you can do something but if it doesn't make change it's, it's, you're, un, you're muted you know so uh, we definitely uh, we're definitely making progress and uh, a big jump a big step was that boycott which got a meeting with uh, all the owners in the league to talk about what we want to do financially and get and what programs we want to get into and different things like that so it's basically uh, a union to really make change you know when you saw that the Rapids were boycotting that game with FC Dallas, what was your first thought about what was eventually going to happen and turn this into? Um, yeah, so that was what I was hoping. I mean, I think the first step to change is having a voice and I think and, and, and making uh, people aware. And I think that's what we did. So I don't think we had a full, full scale plan but we wanted to get the owner's attention to get people's attention. And once you get someone's attention, then you can, you can start talking and get the change, get the change and movement. But until you get that attention and that, that voice that you need to be heard, nothing's going to happen. So I think that was a huge first step for us to do. And I knew once we, once we grabbed the, the owner's attention with, with that boycott that uh, we we're making progress and something was going to come from. Well, Nikki, certainly that, that's a huge, uh, huge topic and uh, very, very interesting to hear some of your thoughts on that. One mm -hmm. of the big things happening in collegiate sports uh, this fall anyway, uh, we've seen the suspension of fall sports uh, pretty much across the board with the exception <clears throat> of uh, just a few conferences. Wanted to get to your thoughts because there's talk of, you know, playing a, a spring season in uh, soccer. Uh, I don't know exactly when that would start or how yeah. long that would be, but I know in football, they're saying, well, that, that might not be possible because it's hard to play in the spring and then turn around and play in the fall. Wanted to get your thoughts on the, uh, the suspension of the sports and, and the possibility of men's soccer being in the spring. Um, man, it's tough. Uh, it's really tough. Definitely for those seniors because, I mean, you definitely want to get a, your, your last season in any, in any sport or even just being in school. You know, you want to be able to be there for your last year. But uh, I think uh, most conferences took the precaution, which I understand. I do believe that there should be a spring – a spring season because you, you definitely need to give those players that uh, that chance for and uh, that chance for professional teams to see them because I know a lot of guys out there are trying to be a professional soccer player and having their last senior season is definitely going to help them quite a bit you know 
And so um, I believe that the spring season is going to be – should happen. And uh, if it does graduate, in, like if it, if it does go on into the fall season, fall, uh, fall of 2021, actually, excuse me, can't believe it was 2020. Uh, yeah, 2021. <laughs> um, I think that will be good. I mean, I think we're uh, – we're elite athletes, even at the college level, Division One. I think if you really look at a scale between professional, like the professional soccer players, we play. We start preseason in January, you know, and we go all the way through November. If you uh, if through November, you make the playoffs, but pretty much uh, January through October, which is spring and fall for uh, college. So I see no problem with that uh, whatsoever. But I do believe that we really, they really should push for having a season for these guys, even. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to really do the draft this year or what's going, what that's going to look like, but uh, at least give them a season and uh, give them a chance to get some uh, more exposure. You know? Yeah, that was uh, going to be my other question for you, Nikki, was the draft is typically in January. So yeah. those seniors you were talking about, if they have chances to play in the pros, yeah. you might have to make that decision. Are you going to play another season of college soccer yeah. or are you going to go in the draft? Uh-huh, for sure. I think, um, I mean, it's hard to say. I graduated. I, I, I wanted to make sure I was done before the draft, before it came. So I did. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's different circumstances because I had my fall season. But, um, man, it's a really tough, it's a really tough discussion because you can look at it like both ways. You want to play your senior year, but you also want to go on the draft and stop. And then you got to think about, excuse me, you got to think about your academics and finishing school. So, I mean, it's a, t- it's a tough discussion, but I definitely do believe you should definitely give them a choice, you know, to at least if they want to play their sprint their last season, if they want to, they can. Because, I mean, not everyone's going to get in the drafts. Some do just want to play, you know, and finish off their, their, their college career. So uh, definitely give them that option, that chance. Nikki, I've got one last question for you. I know you just celebrated a birthday within the last yes. week. What were you able to do? Um, uh, nothing too crazy. I went to dinner with my girlfriend. And then I actually, uh, I've been trying to uh, – she kind of surprised me. I've been trying to do one of those escape rooms, you know. Uh, have you have you heard of them where you uh, they lock you in this room? You have to find different clues to get to the next room. Man, that was I thought I was smart. That they, that down <laughs> a little bit for sure. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for sure. So did you escape? We did. With but we had we had a few hints from the guy. I was just so embarrassed because. The guy was just out here, just like looked like he had this cameras, and then the guy was just kind of like giving us hints. I was like, okay. And once he gave us a hint, I was like, how did I not think of that, you know? But uh, yeah, we did escape. We made it through, but uh, it, it was definitely it was definitely a challenge. And a lot of fun. We're gonna have to do it again for sure. Though. Those are definitely tough. I guess I have one more question for you. <laughs> Who do you think will win the MLS Cup this year, as long as play continues? Colorado Rapids for sure. You there you go. You love to <laughs> <laughs> And I have one last question for you as well, Nikki. Uh, what at what point can we expect you to see uh, to see you back on the pitch competitively? Um, I'll probably be healthy uh, towards towards playoffs, but um, I don't think I'll be probably as game fit as I should be for playoffs. So I'm uh, I'm not I'm not in any rush. I'll be healthy. I'll be training with the guys towards the end of the season, but. Uh, you'll probably see me back out there in preseason. Well, Nikki, want to again thank you for taking some time out. Congratulations on being the number two goal scorer of the past decade. Thank in you. WAC and want to wish you the best of luck uh, in uh, your rehab with the Colorado Rapids. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.
All right, that is Nikki Jackson coming up next. We're going to hear from Jesse Ray, who Rachel talked with a couple of weeks ago. You're listening to the Black Podcast. Hercules Tires is the official tire of the Western Athletic Conference and for over 65 years has been providing tires with unbeatable quality at an unmatched value. Whatever the vehicle and whatever the terrain, Hercules Tires invites you to ride on our strength. For a retailer near you, visit HerculesTires.com. Welcome back to the WAC Podcast, Eric Danner and Rachel V. Hill. And we had uh, Jesse Ray on WAC All Access uh, back a few weeks ago, the outstanding women's soccer player from Seattle University. She also was nominated for Woman of the Year Award for the NCAA, which is an incredible feat. And she also is going into the medical field now, and she shares some insight and some stories about working with stroke patients. A really, really great conversation. Perfect. I believe Miss Jesse is now on with us. Hi, Rachel. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. So where are you at right now, Jesse? Currently, I am in Portland, Oregon, I'm sitting on my dad's beautiful patio. I have a sauna right next to me, I'm a kind of a little garden jungle escape in the city. It's beautiful. Okay. I'm so jealous. Can you give us just like a quick little overview? I would love to see it. Okay. Overview beautiful. of the property. Yeah, I was just going to say, just like like your, what you're seeing right now. I know you did a little bit of like movement there, but I would love to see the rest of it. Yeah. So if I flip my camera around, my dad is going to pop in here in a second. There we will he say is. hello to Papa Ray. <laughs> this is my dad, Tim. Um, and then we have apartment right there. And then a nice sauna. Um, definitely got the garden going during quarantine so um right in northeast portland a beautiful place to hang outside and um uh, spend time outside during quarantine definitely it's beautiful i love the flowers out there so it looks very nice and i would also like to say congratulations on being a nominee for the ncaa woman of the year award how did you find out about being a nominee thank you yeah um i got i had finished a socially distanced training with a semi-pro wpsl team um shout out to coach Corey, and i uh, kind of looked at my phone and got the email um i was lucky enough to be joined by um a incoming sophomore teammate kendall was also at the training um she was a freshman last year at seattle u with me um and so i just kind of looked up at her and told her the news and went and drove home and called my parents and uh super exciting very big honor um it made me miss my teammates a lot miss me miss being on the field with them have you been able to keep in contact with some of them yeah i've been um definitely some of my fellow seniors um been talking with kelsey vogel a lot uh, i was able to go home during quarantine and finish out the school year with uh, uh, my roommates in the house. And then um, last week I sent out a message to the team when the news hit about their season being canceled, um, just giving them my support and telling them I'm here if they need, if they need me and um, telling them that it's okay to be upset, even though a lot of people are struggling right now and they're hopefully all in good places that they can still kind of feel the loss that they have experienced. And, um, College athletics is so special and four years goes by so fast. I couldn't imagine having one of those 
seasons taken away from me, but hopefully some of them will go back for fifth year. Have you been able to keep in contact with head coach Julie Woodward? Uh, yeah, I've exchanged some text messages with Julie. She um, congratulated me on the news. Uh, I was able to see her when I was home back in Seattle for a month before my lease was up and um, got to catch up with her a bit and check in on how she was doing during COVID, being home with all of her grown children once again. Um, but yeah, I've, I've kept in touch with Julie a little bit here and there. Great. I'd love to hear it. Now let's go back to that nomination real quick. I know community service is a huge part of that award. And so what exactly, what kind of um, community service have you done over your years at Seattle U? Yeah. So uh, in the off season at Seattle U, community service was huge. We had to get um, around 20 hours each. So I joined through the, I uh, did special Olympics with the team. I volunteered at a elementary school called Bailey Gatzer near in the Seattle central area um, worked through and uh, not just through the top soccer team, but through the school as a whole service is huge. So through one of my classes, I worked through a organization called volunteer chores where I would go to a elderly um, woman's home once a week and spend time with her, help her clean, um, go on some walks um, I really cherish that time. And then um, this last year, I participated in an organization called Health Scholars, where I was assigned to different floors of the Hospital of Swedish, which is just up the hill of Seattle U. Um, and I would assist nurses in patient care, helping them um, ease back some of their load and by taking vitals, restocking, um, getting answering patient calls and really just helping make their job easier. And so I was able to be on gynecology surgery floor as well as a uh, rehabilitation floor. So I'm probably assuming that you want to go into something in the medical field based on that experience right there. Yeah, That's the plan. Um, hopefully in a few years, I'm thinking of um, heading down the track of becoming a doctor myself. Uh, if you had to pick a specific, um, oh gosh, I can't even think of the word Special right now. Team. Yes. Thank you. I was yeah. like, it's right there. I can feel it. <laughs> um, yeah. Over quarantine, I've gotten in the habit of, uh, reading some books about nutrition and, um, immunology and how your immune system c communicates with the whole body, um, how you metabolize food. And so I think it could be really cool to kind of put um, that passion of mine to use to help other people and um, possibly go into like functional integrative lifestyle medicine. Um, yeah, something like that would, I think would be really cool, but that will probably change as my interests continue to change. Absolutely. But that's an awesome, I mean, experience just as a whole. Do you have any really cool memories that you have from like volunteering on those floors? And obviously, I know there's like HIPAA, and you can't talk a lot about yeah, like yeah. patients. But is there any like cool experience? I think my favorite experiences were just being able to uh, like sit down with patients and really talk to them about their experience. Um, my first floor was rehabilitation, and it was a lot of patients who had gone through strokes, um, and so that was really challenging to see what one a week ago would have been a completely normal, healthy patient. Um, now I was feeding them 
And so kind of have those intimate moments um, really meant a lot to me. And um, so there's not one in particular that I can pick out, but um, I really enjoyed uh, experiencing that intimacy with a patient, even if they were unable to communicate with me, just have that opportunity to help them in this really, really scary time that they were going through. Well, Justine, that is phenomenal and uh, major props to you there. Cause I know sometimes that can't be easy being in hospitals too. And, uh, but to help those people, congratulations. And that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Now let's hop over to the soccer side real quick of things. Obviously, you finished up your senior season at Seattle University. You were the uh, all-time top three, I believe, in goals scored. So let's talk about, do you have a favorite goal of yours? Uh, I mean, probably my first and my last. Um, both of them happen to be WAC championship game winners. Um the first one, I it kind of set the pace for the next three years. I hadn't scored a goal um, in my collegiate career. I was lacking confidence and, and kind of struggling with the transition of going to college. And kind of I came off the bench and scored a goal off of one of my first or second touches of the game. Uh, it was an incredible feeling. And then I, I'm not sure anything really compares to that final goal that I scored um, overtime against Utah Valley, uh, a competitor of ours in past years. Um, and just to have that feeling of your teammates kind of rushing the field, um, your family in the stands and, and the, the comeback of it all. It was, a, it was a total team comeback. We never lost hope. Um, it was, yeah, it was a, it was a magical, a moment, a magical moment and a phenomenal game and makes me miss my teammates a lot, but those two probably were my top two goals. You mentioned not having the confidence freshman year. If you could say something to freshmen this year, obviously for um, soccer, they're not going to be able to play, but you know, in upcoming years, what would you say to them to just keep going after that dream? say so, uh, recognize that there's a reason why you're there your coaches see something in you they believe in you or else you wouldn't have been recruited by them so have that confidence and trust the process of of de- playing and developing your skills know that it won't all come within three months of training um, but over time hopefully you'll find that you you fit in and you have worked hard for that moment and but need to continue working hard you were able to make it to the ncaa tournament three times at seattle university what's the most memorable thing about those trips uh i mean obviously it's just such a fun environment to be in i think the most memorable of it all is to know that you're playing some of the top players in the in the nation especially Seattle, you don't necessarily have the best draws um, throughout the years, but we, to say we were able to play Stanford, to play UCLA my freshman year, and then even better to play UW that in my final season um, was really, really special. And just to know you're at the highest level in your sport in college and to be competing and giving it your all 
um, when you're on the field is a really great feeling. And I feel really lucky to have had that experience. We are in uncertain times for sure. But what does the future hold for Jesse Ray? The future, of course, is unknown because COVID <laughs> causes a lot of uncertainty right now. But um, I currently am working in Portland, um, doing some private soccer lessons, um, giving back to the community and trying to instill the joy of training and personal growth and development in some youth players around the city. And but I'm also training myself, uh, hoping to continue playing and possibly be able to go play overseas somewhere if, if COVID allows. So um, we'll see what happens with that, but I'm trying to stay hopeful and stay fit. <laughs> How do you like coaching? I really enjoy it. It's, it's interesting to see the drills that I do myself in other players and recognize their movements and how they could be improved and then translate that into my own training. Sometimes there's nine-year-olds who will do a drill differently than I do. And it makes me second guess, okay, maybe their maybe their hips are in the right position or maybe I need to adjust my own hip movement. So it's a really nice way to stay involved in the game during this strange time. And um, I, I really enjoy the energy that I can bring to a training session and, um, work with a really cool group of special young kids. What if any of Julie Woodward's coaching style has kind of continued over into maybe your own coaching style? I think I'd say that sometimes like I'm, I'm positive in the right moments and then critical in the right moments. Um, I think Julie is really good at kind of giving you that boost when you need it and then critiquing the areas um, at the right moment as well. So I think I, I do a good job of um, giving some positivity to their training when they might be struggling. And then when they're doing something really well, kind of adding in that extra layer of what they could think about next in order to make it even better. Great to hear, Jesse. Well, we wish you the best of luck in all of your adventures here at the WAC. And we really appreciate you hopping on with us today. Great. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks to Jesse Ray for sitting down and chatting with me on Whack All Access. That'll do it for this week's Whack Podcast, Eric. It's finally feeling like fall. I know we mentioned that at the beginning, but it's finally feeling like fall. It is. It is. And uh, every day that passes, we're going to be closer to having competition. So I'm happy about that. Exactly. We'll look forward to that. And we'll talk to everybody later on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Whack Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And check out our website at WhackSports.com.